You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Doug Mensch, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Morbius Episode 2, oh, Episode 2A, actually. We're going to split this volume in half, and we're going to uh, just cover a period of Mobius. I, I keep saying Mobius, but it's Morbius, and it's because I'm a big Mobius fan, and I absolutely love Mobius, and so I think I'm just more inclined to say Mobius. Morbius. We're talking, we're talking about Morbius today, uh, covering a period of Morbius from 1975 to 1976. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Ryan Schultz, your Morbius co-host. Ryan, which issues are we going to cover today? So today we are going to be covering covering the rest of the Fear issues, which is going to be Fear 27 through 31. And then we'll also be diving into the Marvel Premiere 28, Marvel 2-in-1, issue 15. That's right. And so we are going to skip over the Vampire Tales issues. There's uh, only issues 9, 10, 11, and an annual, plus a story from Marvel premiere number eight, which was also a black and white magazine. So we're going to not cover the black and white magazine content, and we're going to stick that all in another episode, including the Vampire Tales stories from the first Morbius epic collection. But yes, epic collection. This is the second Morbius epic collection called The End of a Living Vampire. Now, Morbius's career in comics is is so strange because he is not an A-list character. Would you call him a B-list character? Probably a B-list character, right? Because C-list characters tend to not have their own titles. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that very question right before we did the first episode, actually. Okay. And seeing like what constitutes like a B versus a C-list character. Because I didn't want to incorrectly categorize him as a C-list character. <laughs> yeah, but right. at the same time, like his appearances are so sporadic. Yeah throughout different issues and his again like when he carries his own title it's really only for what maybe 10 issues yeah it's not from the adventure to fear so Mm -hmm. i'm not sure what he would be characterized as in between a b and a c (laughs) yeah it's hard to say because uh he has a movie now and i I would be like you know c-list characters just don't get movies do they (laughs) but maybe they do right at least with the characters Sony's are Sony is able to work with That's right. on their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and once you hit all of the A-list characters and B-list characters, or yeah, once all the A-list characters have movies and you want to make new movies with these properties, you got to kind of dive down a little bit and get the B-list characters. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're getting that with like, you know, even Moon Knight, I would call B-list. He's not definitely not an A-list character, but I definitely wouldn't call him a C-list character. But then would you put Morbius and Moon Knight in the same category? See that? Yeah, exactly. Because that's what I was kind of comparing, trying to think of the B-list characters that we classically think of, especially ones that are starting to get a decent amount of attention yeah. with the shows and movies going on. And I'm just like, oh, I... I can't put Morbius on that level. So I think in my mind, I kind of demote him to a C. Okay, okay, there we go. He's a C-list character. (laughs) I could deal with that. I think that's good. Which honestly is a big testament to just all the movies and shows that are coming out. Yeah. And the fact that we're able to get a movie for Morbius. I actually personally haven't seen it yet. No, neither have I. But just the fact that we ever got a Morbius movie is crazy. It's pretty insane, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you look at these two epic collections, and it's like, how did this guy even get to the point where people would consider him to have a movie? Because I mean, I know, like you said, it's Sony has a very limited amount of superheroes they can work with, Marvel superheroes. 
So yeah, they're just going to take whatever they can get their hands on. But he has never been um, a heavy hitter. My biggest memory of Morbius is actually from the Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s. Um, oh, the, he appeared in that one? Yeah, he uh, he. I, I watched that show religiously when it came out in 94, 95. And he dominated like the second season. He was a main character. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and he was he was written a little bit different as well because he I I don't know if it was network censors or whatever that meant that they couldn't have a straight up blood sucking vampire on their Saturday morning kids cartoon, so <laughs> right. they treated him more like a leech, which is funny because there's a nickname he he's called the leech as a derogatory yeah. term in this book quite often. But they make him like a leech. He has suckers on his hands, and he lays his hands on people and and draws their blood in a leech-like way rather than sticking his fangs in, in someone's neck. Interesting. Yeah. So does he have weird-looking hands in the show then, or is it does he just have normal hands that somehow transfers blood? <laughs> yeah, he has normal <laughs> hands, and they have little little suckers i think there's like four suckers in the palm of his hands on each of his hands gotcha yeah. interesting yeah so that's my that was my first introduction to morbius and kind of my only real introduction to morbius and i know he had a comic throughout the the mid 90s as well when marvel was really ramping up their uh, their kind of creatures of the night um what did they call that line midnight suns uh, in the 90s, and Ghost Rider was a part of that. They gave Doctor Strange a more black magic kind of a turn, and uh, uh, there were a bunch of others. There was a, even a comic series, a short-lived comic series that was centered around the Darkhold, and um, and then Morbius right. was there too, but I never yeah, read it. Some a couple old complete collections. I actually hunted them down pretty recently because I know there's a Darkhold complete collection, yep. and then actually the uh, you said it's called the Midnight Suns. Yep. I think you and Omar announced that on one of your epic announcement uh, upcoming announcements. Because isn't that gaining a new complete collection? Yeah, there's a there's a big story called the Rise of the Midnight Suns, which was a crossover between all of the Midnight Suns comics. And they released that one standalone story as a complete collection a couple years back, and they just reprinted it. I think that's what we announced was a reprint that was coming um, okay. of, of that collection. And there are a few Morbius issues in that book because it crossed over. I have not read that story. I haven't read any of that Midnight Sun stuff. So it will be interesting if, as of this recording, there is no Morbius Volume 3, Epic Collection Volume 3. They could easily do a Volume 3, collecting his random appearances through the 80s and early 90s, and then moving into his next solo series, which lasted... Man, I can't remember. I'm going to say like 30 issues or something like that. So they could probably get it done in two more volumes. Okay. I actually did not even realize he got a new title in the 90s. Yeah. That's how C-list he is. (laughs) (laughs) That you're not aware of any of that stuff. Yeah, I think that if they wanted to, they could easily continue. But, you know, based on the fact that the movie is getting very terrible reviews, they may not put out more Morbius collections. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no. And again, I have not seen the movie yet. So I don't know what direction if he does have a direction that they're going to continue with or if this is going to be the the short lived spotlight of Morbius. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anything, we got two these two epic collections out of it, and for that, I am thankful because they're actually pretty fun. These issues of fear. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that as soon as uh, as soon as uh, Doug Mensch wrapped up really quickly that stuff that we talked about in the last episode, the the bizarre story with the caretakers and going to different planets. I thought, okay. I, I know Doug Mensch, and he will do his straight-up kind of horror stuff, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He just goes weird again. <laughs> he goes right. to some strange places. It's like he was reading through the Steve Gerber stuff yep. and just thinks to himself, how can I top that? And he does it in this, <laughs> in this volume. It's so strange, yeah. This is my second time reading through it, and I just don't remember it getting that out there. For some reason, I don't know like if I just, I don't know how I wasn't phased the first time, but when I was <laughs> rereading it this time, I'm just like, wow. Like, were you just trying to like one-up Steve Gerber's weirdness? Like, how did you do this? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Um, absolutely. There, there is so it's so weird, and I can't wait to get into the descriptions of these because it's like, what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, so before we get into that, though, two things. One is that I asked on Facebook for some listener comments, 
and I got zero responses, which is very unusual, which means that, you know, not a lot of people read the first volume. Even fewer people have read this second volume <laughs> here. So, you know, Ryan, you and I might be the only people on the planet who have read the second Morbius epic collection. <laughs> very well could be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hopefully if you are listening to this, you have read it as well. And if you are listening to this and you have not read it, you should pick it up and and dive into these issues because it's it, it's... Just fun Marvel 70s comics. You know, this is great. <laughs> it really is. And the second thing is, so we're coming into the middle of a story, sort of in the middle of a story. So Ryan, can you tell me what are the things that people need to know if they have if they didn't read the first Morbius epic collection? They're just picking up this one and diving in. What are the plot points that they need to be aware of? Yeah, so the just the general premise is Morbius is a Nobel winning scientist who is dying from a rare blood disease. And in the midst of trying to cure himself, he turns himself into a scientific vampire is what they kind of call him throughout the series is he's not the traditional vampire like we've seen to Dracula. He is a vampire made from science. And yeah, going forward, I think the only other plot point is that he has a very devoted fiance named Martine who is trying to help cure Morbius. Yeah. Um, which I don't know, is she still technically the fiance? I know they kind of talked about her as a fiance a lot in the first volume, but they do make fiance references here in this in these okay. issues too, yeah. But yeah, I think that is from what I remember the most of the premise that you need to know before going into these issues. We're going to meet a new character in this volume, and his name is Simon Stroud. And he's a character that Doug Mensch created in the series called Creatures on the Loose, which starred the Man-Wolf. Man-Wolf being the, the son of J. Jonah Jameson. And we met Man-Wolf in the first Morbius epic collection. But Simon Stroud was hired. He's an ex-CIA hired to kill or track down, and well, yeah, and kill the Man-Wolf. But now he's being tasked to uh, track down what they assume is a vampire murderer, vampire serial killer. Uh, and so, yeah, that's just a little backstory on that character there. And I think that, yeah, we can just kind of jump into these issues. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to start with fear number 27. Uh, this is called Night of the Vampire Stalker. And Doug Bench, yep, continuing writing, carrying over from what we saw in the first volume, with Frank Robbins also continuing on art, uh, with D. Fraser, I did not look up this name, so I don't know what the D stands for, I haven't heard of this inker, but I actually think he's pretty good. So in this issue, Martine sets up a lab for Morbius in an old mansion. She uses the remaining part of his Nobel Prize uh, winnings to rent out this place and fully furnish it with all of the stuff that he needs to work on the cure for himself. And then meanwhile, this man, Simon Stroud, that I talked about earlier, is tasked with tracking down a blood-sucking murderer in, in Boston. And uh, doing so, he puts all the pieces together and tracks Morbius down to his, his new mansion which they say is haunted. I wonder if that's going to lead into anything. And then they, <laughs> yeah, they have a big fight. And in the end, Mar Martine is arrested for obstruction because she tries to save Morbius's life. Now, there is a lot to like about this issue. Now, when I said that I thought Doug Mensch was going to go normal, um, you know, relatively speaking, of course, go normal with his plots. This is kind of what I meant. This issue is a good example of a, just a straight up great, it's a detective story, it's a monster story, and it has mm -hmm. all of these great elements in it that I think Doug Mensch is really, really great at. Um, and, and I totally enjoyed this. And a lot of it was set up for what's going to come up in the next issue, but uh, still quite exciting. And I liked how Stroud does the detective work and puts it all together and even uh, handles his own in this fight, this three-page fight scene that happens in the middle of this issue. I was really excited when Doug Mensch jumped on uh, the Morbius book because he is definitely one of my favorite writers uh, just between Moon Knight and Shang-Chi. And I think what one thing that I love about Doug Mensch is that he does a great job with supporting cast. And in this case, like you said, Detective Stroud, 
I think it's just a per- one of the perfect examples of how well Doug Mensch can juggle characters in the book and make compelling side characters that you grow to love. And Detective Stroud was definitely that for Morbius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in just these few issues, and I know half of them are Bill Mantlo issues, but uh, Stroud mm-hmm. gets a really nice character arc where he goes from, uh, you know, hunting down Morbius and not understanding him to actually, you know, being compassionate toward Morbius and his plight. So I thought that was very a very nice character arc and a great addition to the cast. And I don't know if he sticks around in other Morbius appearances. I don't know if he's kind of a regular character or not. Yeah, I'm not sure how long he lasts outside of these. He might make a, some appearance in the Vampire Tales. It's been long enough since I've read those. But yeah, from what I remember, it is mainly this and his appearances in the Manwolf title. Uh, I think it's... Uh, what title is Manwolf in? Creatures on the, the Loose. Creatures. Yes, that's it. Um, so I'm not familiar with any of his other appearances, but who knows? Maybe the second half of this book that we cover, will we'll see him pop up some more. <laughs> One thing that I really liked in this issue is they kind of throw out a unique idea of how Martine is trying to feed Morbius plasma and blood that she pretty unethically steals from a blood bank. But I thought that was a pretty unique solution that they tried. Again, I haven't read too many vampire books like Team of Dracula yet, but I thought that was just a really cool idea of trying to quench his urges by actually giving him blood that he can feast on. But as we see, that does not do the trick. And he still has the urge to actually hunt. And I think what they kind of like to quote is he likes to sink his teeth into the flesh, which is a creepy image. But that's kind of yeah the idea we get. I think, yeah, it's very interesting. You can't just give a vampire blood uh, through an IV. It, it doesn't work that way or, you know transfusion it has to be the act it's the act of the sucking the blood that satisfies the hunger and i think it's like you know if you have a really really juicy hamburger you know you go to your favorite restaurant and there's a big (laughs) steak there are you gonna want that pumped into your bloodstream or are you gonna want to eat the steak i'm gonna want to eat the steak (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yep so I can understand that. It's it's more than just satisfying the hunger hunger. It's it's tasting it. It's feeling it's the feeling that you'd get while while consuming. So sounds kind of gross, but you know <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Spot on, though. Yep. So I like the mystery that they have at the end here because they have, um, they've, they've got a vampire. The police have captured a vampire that they think is behind the murders. And Stroud is like, no, 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 I'm with the murderer now, Morbius. He's right here. And, and, and Martine reminds everybody, oh, no, he can't sire vampires. That's not part of his, his thing because he is not actually a vamp- vampire himself. So that brings up a new mystery that we're not going to, you know, solve for a few issues down the road. But I like that they are planting the seeds about that right now. Right. And again, very early on, uh, kind of almost like we saw in the Blade issues from the previous episode, is that they're already kind of trying to draw contrast between Morbius and this new vampire that they have captured between Stroud trying to uh, burn Morbius with a cross, which he obviously has no effect to, but in the precincts, we see the vampire there kissing at the officers who have crosses with them. So they're already trying to draw these contrasts that can kind of clue Stroud and the other detectives into thinking, okay, maybe Morbius isn't the one we're trying to hunt, and that is this other vampire. So it's kind of interesting that they start going back to those um, ideas that we saw in Blade, Mm -hmm. with Blade. Okay, shall we continue on to issue number 28? Issue 28. This one is titled The Doorway Screaming Into Hell. So this one is also written by Doug Mensch with Frank Robbins still on art. And yeah, this is, again, kind of almost similar to the story setup with the Steve Gerber issues where... The very first issue in the story arc is pretty normal, kind of, you know, you can kind of expect where it's going to go. And then the second issue, it just turns everything on its head and starts getting really out there. So in this issue, um, in the precinct, Detective Stroud is talking with the uh, police chief Warner 
and we start to learn a little bit about the history of the mansion that Morbius and Martine were using as a lab. And we come to find out that it is haunted by creatures called the Haunts, which are basically big, fuzzy green guys with one giant eye. (laughs) And... We learned that the previous owner of the house is Miss Mason and Detective Stroud trying to figure out what's going on with this house actually goes to visit Miss Mason, who is in uh, an asylum at this time because people think that she has lost her mind due to what she's saying about the house. And during this visit, we learn that uh, the house, again, these haunts are actually trying to warn Miss Mason that there is this being from another dimension that is planning to take over Earth. And throughout this issue, so that's kind of the background that we get in the house. And during this issue, we see Morbius actually in the house and he is chasing a wraith-like figure that he thinks is Martine in the house and trying to catch up with her. She runs through this door that is basically made up of blinding lights. And when Morbius reaches the door, he discovers that is actually just a white brick wall that when he tries to jump through it, he does succeed in getting through it and ends up in this very weird dimension. Very weird is right. Yeah. They say it's hell. It's a doorway to hell. It's so strange. This is just such a weird... You you were talking about one-upping Steve Gerber. This monster that (laughs) just is covered in eyeballs... And each eye, I love it, each eye is this portal to a different, I, I, they say kind of a different part of hell, or it's just, I, they don't even really define what it is, but it's gonna, it, it'll take you to a different place depending on which eye you travel into. It's almost as if each eye of hell leads to a different dimension within hell. And so I don't know if it's just different dimensions that it took over, because it kind of seems like the main antagonist who is name is hell eyes is basically trying to conquer all these different dimensions i don't know if he kind of just converts it and almost yeah it basically takes over all these different dimensions and Mm -hmm. that's what each eye leads to is like maybe a previously conquered dimension that he's added to his domain but yeah it is very confusing i had to read things several times to try to figure out exactly what was happening yeah i agree it it did take a little bit of kind of deciphering. I think what you have to kind of do is just go along for the ride and not try to think too hard about it because it all eventually kind of gets explained and and gets kind of sorted out. But it's just like, yeah, what are we exactly looking at in this first right. issue here? Uh, in this first part of the story. And then Stroud comes along and tries to uh, find Morbius who's gone through the, the, the portal in the doorway and now has gone through an eyeball. And we don't actually actually see Stroud um, go through any portals himself. He just kind of finds the doorway and he's about to go into it. So uh, it's it's we're going to gump, go to a man, like a normal person who, yeah, he's dealt with man wolves and stuff, but his, his view on reality is fairly limited uh, compared to Morbius, who we already know has traveled to other planets and other dimensions and has met a host of different creatures. So this is kind of like, you know, this is old old hat for him. <laughs> it's just another weird thing that's happening to him on this day. Right. No, it's actually, it's kind of funny because almost what Stroud believes in versus what Morbius is able to believe in is they almost kind of complete one picture together. So Morbius is able to believe in all these extra dimensions, all these different planets, but he can never wrap his mind around that real vampires exist. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas Stroud is able to believe in werewolves and vampires empires but he can't wrap his mind around all these other dimensions right. and other planets so it's kind of interesting that they almost kind of complete the knowledge together yeah that's funny that's a good observation i also like the fact that morbius goes through this portal in the doorway and it's like he's always just traveling through portals and just yeah. he doesn't know what's on the other side but it's like the same with you know the land within at the end of that river he just goes through the portal and and we're gonna see him uh tackle the eraser later on in this episode where he gets teleported again to another dimension and uh it just happens to right. him over and over again it seems let's just become become numb to it at this point <laughs> i guess so well and i think it, it kind of helps him inform his decisions coming up in a couple of issues when he tries to get home the fact that it kind of keeps happening to him so that's interesting i want to make a note of the next issue blurb at the very end of this issue it says next issue first hell and last uh and then at the beginning of this next issue issue number 29 
which is called Through a Hell Eyes Darkly. One of the captions on this first page says, Welcome to Hell Number One, Morbius. This is the first issue by Bill Mantlo. So I'm wondering if Doug Mensch had stayed on this book for an extended period of time, would he have had Morbius just jumping from eye to eye and going through different dimensions? And they would, you know, it would be hell number one, hell number two, hell number three. But he got pulled off the book. I'm not sure where he went after this, but I assume he got another title, like a regular gig. And so now Bill Mantlo is on and he starts the story. But then they realize this book is going to be canceled in a few weeks. So they changed the next issue blurb to say hell number one and last because the work for this other issue, number 29, has already started and it already says hell number one. So (laughs) I don't know. Does that make sense? Am I clear what I'm trying to explain here? Yeah, I think so. And that's actually something that I did not even pick up on was the welcome to hell number one. And then how it kind of says that it's basically trying to wrap up the issue. Yeah. Wrap up the story arc. So yeah, I didn't even catch on, catch on to that. That's a good observation. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at this point they knew that the book was going to be canceled. And so we can see that they wrap up this hell eyes story pretty quick and then move into wrapping up the whole vampire story because that's going to end the series and um, i'm glad that they actually wrapped it up instead of just kind of ended it because oftentimes they'll especially in this era marvel starts and stops books quite frequently they like they like threw a whole ton of stuff at, on the wall and a lot of it didn't stick and so they would just stop it and then the story would be wrapped up in like marvel two and one or something like that right Okay, sorry, let's go back to Adventure into Fear number 29. So after swimming through an ocean of blood, which doesn't come off in the artwork as well as it really should, I'm guessing because of the censors, the comic code. Right. So Morbius and Stroud, who's also traveled through this ocean of blood, they must confront Hell Eyes and find a way to get home. And that's kind of as simple as the plot is. There, there really isn't much more to that in this issue at all, except that there is kind of an ongoing tension between Stroud and Morbius as Morbius explains his case and tries to convince Stroud that he's, you know, not an agent of Hell Eyes. I like this also revelation. We find out that Stroud has been shielded from seeing the weirdness of the mansion and of Hell Eyes. Uh, He was just following Morbius. And he's like, you've been fighting nothing. You've been fighting the air. And eventually he comes to realize, oh, no, I did actually see these weird things. And so now he's he's starting to believe in this uh, supernatural stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was reading that, I was trying to I was wondering if it was more so hell eyes that was preventing him from seeing these things so that he would kind of move deeper on in and trap him as well. Oh, okay. Or if it was just him trying not to accept what he's seen because it is so weird. Well, I think there definitely was an element of hell eyes blocking his uh, visions or whatever. But in order to draw him in, yeah, that could be. So Morbius rushes ashore and he's really really hungry and then realizes wait a minute i just swam through an ocean of blood so he just goes and like takes a big drink of the ocean which you know doesn't solve his uh the hunt his need to hunt or anything but at least he's not hungry at the moment and that prevents stroud from dying one of the things that i really loved about this issue is we do see the banter between morbius and stroud but i think this is where the seeds kind of get planted of the we're enemies but you're maybe not all bad type of friendship that you see in, in a lot of comics and almost kind of like a friends but enemies type situation right So this issue is drawn by Don Heck. Don Heck being a very classic Marvel artist. You know, he worked on the early days Mm -hmm. of Iron Man and Avengers and such. And inking him is Bob McCloud. And Bob McCloud, this would be early on in his career. Later on, he would go on to co-create the New Mutants with Chris Claremont. And uh, he himself is a great artist. So the two of them together, it's an interesting combination because uh, Don Heck, I find to be a little bit of a stiff artist. And then Bob McCloud, being early in his career, doesn't add the same sort of flair that he would as an inker later on. So overall, I wasn't as impressed with the artwork, especially coming off of the really, I really love the stylized look 
of Frank Robbins in the past couple of issues. And Frank Robbins' hell eyes with like the eyes just bulging out all, all over the place is way a way better design than this this version of the character, which is just kind of very humanoid with plain looking eyes that look like there's stickers all over his body. <laughs> yeah, no, that is definitely something that I was noticing when reading through this is kind of stark contrast between last issue and this issue. It also seems like they, they really like to play with shadows in the art in this issue. Um, just flipping back through this, even just right now, no seen a lot more shadows than I did before but they really like to make it seem almost kind of like it's a darker land maybe or maybe they just like having the heavy shadows but that's not an art style that I see too often or that I've come across too often at my point in my epic collection reading journey. Mm. I wonder if they're trying to just make this land seem a little bit more creepy because I mean it is supposed to be hell but it just kind of looks like a forest. Yeah exactly it looks like they're in the Amazon like you would never know if it weren't for the singing crabs <laughs> <laughs> the singing crabs yeah that's great and um oh yeah what song were they singing the wizard of oz we're off yep. to see the wizard <laughs> that's exactly what comes to mind when i think of hell is a bunch of singing crabs singing the wizard of oz it's kind of weird that they're there because i could understand if the whole land was loony but that's literally the only kind of loony thing that's here um other than hell eyes himself nothing else like if you wash ashore and then there are a bunch of singing crabs, I feel like we're going to be in a Dr. Seuss book or something. And but the rest of it isn't Dr. Seuss at all. So I thought that the crabs, oh, I guess there's a talking parrot. But even that one, I think parrots can say words. So that's not that unusual either. Right. Yeah. If I were to flip through this issue without reading any of the dialogue and not having any of the context, my impression would be that some demon with eyes was transported to south america or like to where the aztecs would have been yeah because when we get to like the temple of hell eyes it looks very more kind of like the aztec temples almost so yeah if i had no context that's what i'd expect would be going on so yeah like you said for a dimension that is called hell you would expect there'd be a lot more weirdness going on and even a more eeriness than having singing crabs and a giant monster with eyes covering his body So at the end of this issue, Morbius figures out through just thinking through the wording of what Hellize is saying is that the the way home is through him. And it wasn't him, but I, like I as in himself rather than I as in the eyes of Hellize. So he deduces that he Mm -hmm. needs to find the eye that shows himself in it. So he looks for an eye that has his reflection. Then he jumps in it and then they get, you know, they swim through another ocean of blood or whatever and end up back in their mansion. And I think that had they had had Doug Mensch stayed on here, he would just be, you know, thrown into the next dimension or whatever. It wouldn't actually be home, but they brought him home so that we can wrap up this vampire story uh, in the next two issues. Yeah, so the next issue is going to be Fear 30, which is called The Vampires of Mason Manor. And so this one is, again, written by Bill Mantlo, and it is drawn by George Evans, which I actually have never, I don't know if I've read any of his work before. So he's a new artist to me. George Evans is another guy that has carried over from the golden age of comics. Okay. He worked with Marvel way back when in the 50s and 60s, and this is kind of the end of toward the end of his career as well Uh, we have a whole bunch of these people on these books who are at the end of their careers like george evans frank robbins i think george tusca did issues in the last issue don heck they're all from the golden age of comics and i guess i don't know if they get these books because marvel's still trying to employ their old guard but they're not putting them on their a-list books so they get to do morbius but that's kind of where they they kind of show up is in these books Huh, interesting. Yeah. All right. So in this issue, we see Morbius and Stroud back at the mansion in the basement where they're kind of just thrown into this situation where um, they are surrounded by vampires, which is funny because we once again see that Morbius is unable to accept the fact that vampires really exist despite all of his adventures going to other dimensions <laughs> yeah. and other planets. And it's just so unreal that he is, isn't able to accept the fact that vampires exists but yeah so they're thrown in the situation where they need to fight their way out and one interesting point is that stroud is able to escape and in doing so would have to leave morbius behind and kind of use him to fend off the vampires but he's developed a deep enough connection with morbius where his conscience will not let him do that so he actually goes back 
to save Morbius, and together they're able to fight their way out of the situation. Morbius actually does the same thing for Stroud, because Morbius, when they enter the room, Morbius goes to suck the blood of a guy, and then uh, Stroud becomes surrounded by all of the other vampires that are in this room, and Morbius goes to save save him. Now, I know that we would expect that from the, the hero of this book, but that's not something that Morbius has necessarily shown that he would be willing to do in the past. Like, he'll just kind of fly away to save himself. But I think it shows that they have formed a bond uh, while they were in hell uh, that goes both ways. Right. No, absolutely. And again, that's, I know it's Bill Mantlo writing these issues, but I feel like that's a almost a common theme that I see in Doug Mensch's work is, again, just being able to tie these characters together and really be able to form these deep connections between characters so I'm guessing that's the direction Doug Mensch will have taken it, but Bill Mantlo definitely does a great job with giving us a relationship between Stroud and Morbius that we can actually attach to as readers. Yeah. And so in this mansion, after they kind of escape from the basement situation, they're, they're expecting to find more vampires. So they're kind of sneaking throughout the mansion, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And they come across a giant room of vampires yeah. that are, are all here gathered for... It's a house party. The reason that... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a house party, but at the same time, like they don't even really know why they're there, it seems like. I know when they kind yeah. of capture one of the vampires, he just kind of says, oh, I was drawn to the house. So there are some inconsistencies here between writers that uh, once we finish, once you finish with your description here, I'll, I'll go into that. But let, yeah, let's keep that point in mind. So they end up capturing one of the vampires and they decide to go back to the police precinct. And during this issue at the precinct, it's still Martine and police chief Warner that are at the police station. And we see that the vampire that they captured in issue one escapes and is attacking all the police officers. And so when Morbius and Stroud arrive to the scene, they find everything in chaos. And the big cliffhanger at the end is after defeating the original vampire, we find that Martine has been transformed into a vampire herself. Yeah, great cliffhanger. Yeah. And I feel like it's something that she kind of has desired this whole time, even though she hasn't explicitly said. She just wants to be on the same equal footing as Morbius. And setting up the house, setting up the mansion meant that Morbius could find a way to bring himself down to Martine's level. But Martine now has the opportunity to be placed on Morbius's level instead. So uh, I, I don't know right. if it's something that she, I mean, she she definitely was afraid and, and screaming and such. But part of me thinks that maybe she let it happen on purpose, because especially with what she says in the next issue. Right. Like whether she let it happen on purpose or not, she definitely doesn't want to go back to the way things were before. Yeah now that they are on more equal footing because and again like on a certain level like that is almost understandable in a way just they were engaged leading up to all the events and these epics and so obviously they want to be together and if this is the way that martine sees it be able to play out right. as a possible option then let's go for it yeah which is interesting Okay, so some of the inconsistencies here in the plot. Let's think about the first issue in this book, how we got introduced to this mansion and we were told it's haunted. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the woman in the mansion tells the story of the haunting and how it is all of these creatures with eyes that are watching her. And she was told that the person behind it is gathering an army. Is he's, he's amassing an army and will take over the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And we assume I or at least I assumed that he was gathering an army behind the door in the other dimension. And he's, and because I think he said he's going to use that doorway in the mansion to enter the world and take it over. I assumed with his army. Right. And I thought that was pretty clear through those first couple of issues. But now we get to this issue when we find out that it seems like the army that he's amassing is the vampires. Uh, the other thing is that in the other issues, uh, I think it was a, it was Martine in particular was saying, well, what if um, the mansion's not actually haunted, but it's just vampires that are living there and vampires are the ones that are causing the problems in Boston? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe that could be the case. I think it turns out that according to this issue, all of those scenarios are the right ones. The vampires are right. living here or maybe they're not living here. They're just drawn to here after 
or something, but we've got an army that I assume is gathered by Hell Eyes, even though none of the vampires know it. And uh, that plot is not going to be resolved because they didn't kill Hell Eyes. They just escaped Hell Eyes. Uh, but these vampires are all here and they're the ones we and in the next issue, we're going to find out that they're actually not the ones that are involved in the killings in Boston at all, at all anyway. So like there's some weird inconsistencies here that I wasn't too sure about. Yeah, I guess when I was reading this, I was more so separating the plot points out and that there just wasn't a good transition between right. almost these sub story arcs. So that could be I guess when they got back to the mansion, I kind of closed the door on the whole allies thing and that we're now in a new story arc where there are vampires here. Because I think in one of the previous issues, when uh, Detective Stroud is interviewing Miss Mason at the uh, asylum or psych ward, whatever it's called called yep. whoever they call it back then <laughs> that's the agents that he'd be using to take over the world are almost shapeshifters that take on the form of what you fear most oh so right. they didn't go anywhere with that either yeah so if the unless the vampires are what morbius and stroud fear most and that's the shape they're taking or if this is just a whole nother plot point or hold, moving on to a whole new story arc with next to no transition between the Hell Eye story and this one, literally jumping from one to the next. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous. It's very ambiguous, and I think I'm going to chalk it up to a rough transition between writers because, Absolutely. yeah, there, there definitely are some plot holes here. I do like the fact that they're they're questioning whether or not these are real vampires. Um, they keep they keep being like, oh, well, look at this bush. This person is dying in the sunlight, and this person is affected by the crosses. And Morbius, Morbius right. still is like, no, 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 I refuse to believe this. <laughs> yeah, it never gets old to me. Just how ironic. Yeah, and it isn't until I think Martine herself is a vampire that he finally comes to realize this, but he kind of hangs on to his beliefs for too long. Uh, one thing right. also is that he sucks the blood of a vampire, but shouldn't the vampire not have any blood in them? Isn't that like, if they're vampires, wouldn't they have already been drained of their blood and they are dead, technically? Oh, that's a that's an interesting thought. Unless maybe they fed on somebody beforehand and gained their blood? It looks like at this party, they are all drinking goblets of blood. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they maybe he's just drinking that or something i don't know i don't know another inconsistency yeah with with this being my first exposure to vampire stories in comics i probably don't have much insight i can give on their blood volume status <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing also is that every writer who writes a vampire story has their own idea of what the mythology should be and so, you know, they set up the rules as they go along. Right. I think actually some stories will say that vampires drain the blood of their victims and then their victim is dead. But if they only partially drain the blood and then that vamp and then that victim drinks the blood of the vampire, that's how they turn into a vampire. So they would still have blood in them, but they're still dead or undead. Anyway, it could go either way, I suppose. Maybe that's just not an important plot point at all. <laughs> right. And so they do at the end of towards the end of this issue so when they capture the vampire at the mansion um they're kind of interrogating him and he says that i was attacked one night this is on page 74 yeah he says i was attacked one night bitten and woke three nights later to find myself the way i am now and i know uh at during the first issue they were actually starting to i think they touched on the plot point of how um somebody was like quote unquote grave robbing people so I don't oh, know if right, those yeah. were the vampires coming back to life. So right. maybe these people were dead and three days later rise up as vampires. Yeah, that could be. That seems like that's what they're getting at here. Yeah. And again, it's it's hard to track these these thoughts and smaller plot points when you have that transition between writers. And I don't think the transition. So when the transition between Steve Gerber and Doug Mensch seemed a lot smoother than the transition between Doug Mensch and Bill Mantlo when taking over these stories. I think so. And he and Doug Mensch had a lot more to, to tie up and a lot more threads to pull together than, uh, right. than, than, than Mantlo does here. But uh, right. It almost seems like Bill Mantlo kind of gets more so the footnotes where Doug Mensch seemed to actually kind of follow the story more closely. Um, Again, I'm not sure how these stories get passed off at Marvel during this time, but it could be very easy to miss a lot of the more minor plot points yeah, or just had different visions on where they would go. Yeah. 
know, quite frankly, it's just amazing that they are able to keep it as consistent as it is in in the in the first place. <laughs> you know, right? No, absolutely. Okay, moving on to fear number thirty-one. This is the final issue of this series. We're going to get a big conclusion. It's called "The End of a Vampire," and I assumed, based on the title of this epic collection, that they were referring to Morbius, but they actually are not. Um, they're referring to Martine because this is the issue where we decide or where we figure out whether or not we're going to be able to kill her or cure her. What is going to have to happen to Martine here? Uh, and so Morbius at first has to, has to defend Martine from Stroud, who just wants to kill Martine because she's a vampire. But Morbius is like, no, I love her. And uh, they end up having a fight themselves, a little lover's quarrel about whether or not they should stay vampires. Um, and eventually the two of them, uh, Stroud and Morbius, team up and they find a cure for the vampires. Now, this is this is interesting because they this is another one of these inconsistencies here because Stroud finds out through the lab technician that there is traces of radioactivity in the blood of the vampire woman that they had captured. So that means that she was indeed turned into a vampire by Morbius. Right. Uh, and then the radioactive blood in Morbius went into her. And so they've also been playing up this plot point about how Morbius, uh, anytime he's injured, he's pretty much instantly healed. He gets a bullet in him and he's like, he's totally fine. It's all healed. And so mm -hmm. they, he comes to he comes to the uh, realization that if they make a cure for the vampires, it will work on all of these people, all of the vampires that he's created. Like that whole room full of vampires having that house party are because of him. You know, he bit this one vampire and then they bit others and they bit others. So a bunch of these vampires were created because of Morbius. And right. he can cure them all through his blood, but his blood, because of its healing factor, whatever you want to call it, will reject the cure. And he won't. That's why he hasn't been able to cure himself up until this point. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting plot twist or an interesting way to take it. Um, just because, again, they've, like you said, they kind of talk up so many times that, oh, Morbius, you, he can't transmit the yeah. condition. Um, this is purely science and so on. But it does kind of go back to some of the issues we covered in the first epic on how we do see him turning people into vampires right we had the in the marvel team-up issues and again that's kind of one of the inconsistencies where they kind of go back and forth where well during that time you clearly changed people but then <laughs> yeah moving forward they kind of retcon no you he can't transmit it and then during this story arc they make it kind of like a plot twist that no you're the one that caused all this it's like marvel make up your mind <laughs> can he do it can he not. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so there's one moment here where Stroud decides to uh, to use silver bullets to try and take down the vampires. Now, silver bullets are not something that affect vampires. That's not part of the mythology. That's part of the werewolf mythology. And mm -hmm. you have to remember that Stroud originally was a werewolf hunter, not a vampire hunter. And so I think the silver bullets are just kind of the only thing he had on hand at the time here. It's like, I'm going to try these silver bullets. Maybe it'll work. <laughs> but nope, right. it doesn't work. Also, this issue is the return of Frank Robbins, which I'm very happy about. I'm, I I just love the way he draws Morbius with his big eyes and such. I, I think it looks great. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy he returned for this finale uh, because I think he did a really good job of uh, bringing the drama, especially at the very end. Um, I guess we got to talk about this ending. Okay, so yeah, because it is just great. And it made the whole series worthwhile, I think. Um, not that it wasn't worthwhile. But th the way this one ended is, is fantastic, because he cures Martine, she she takes the cure, she becomes a normal human again, all the vampires gone. And then Morbius, who's been fighting his bloodlust this whole time attacks her. And, you know, he thinks he kills her. And it was such a great scene. And we've seen him do this before. But for some reason, this one, I think had a greater emotional impact. I just wonder why he didn't go for Stroud instead. Like Stroud is right there. Why didn't he bite Stroud? But it seems that vampires are always drawn toward the female uh, characters rather than the male characters. Oh yeah. Well, in the end, we find out that she didn't actually die, and they are able to save her, and and everything seems good. And then. <laughs> 
Stroud opens his big mouth and says, no, 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 you're still in trouble. I'm still going to arrest you. And so Morbius has to leave. And that's where we end the series. And I think it's a satisfying series because Martina's safe. The vampire problem is solved. And Morbius, while we never want to cure the main character because then it takes away the character so that he just has to stay Morbius. Uh, he he flies off into the sunset or the moonlight, I guess, in this instance. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the last five pages of this issue, I think, like you said, just really the payoff was really good for this series. I, I mean, I remember when reading this, like I actually felt the suspense. Yeah. And especially when we are led to believe that Morbius killed Martine, like you actually like my heart actually kind of sunk a little bit when I was reading that. Like, no, Morbius, don't. You can't do this. I was hoping they were going to go through with it and stick with it and just actually kill her off because that would have completely changed Morbius's outlook on on life. He wouldn't have anyone getting his back anymore. Um, He'd be totally on his own and, you know, Stroud would be hunting him. It would give another dimension to this this story, I think. Yeah, that would definitely lead him down like a more a darker, darker path. path, I think. Yeah. Just trying to reconcile and trying to live with what he did if he did actually go through with it. Um, one thing that I did love, though, is Stroud's reaction to what was going on when Stroud thought that he killed Martine and seeing his reaction, just his rage. And then Morbius kind of not flips it, but almost explains to her, like, now you know what it's like. Now you know like how like degrading and how awful like my yeah. situation is. Oh yeah. Like, like having yeah, having you witness what I just did, like and feeling that rage, that anger, that shame from doing it is I love I that. I thought that was a really cool moment yep. between Stroud and Morbius. Absolutely. That was so good. Yeah, and I again, um, like you said how we can't really cure the main character, but I'm, I'm glad that they mentioned that it's because his blood rejected it because when I was reading the plot point and him or reading this plot and having them say, Oh, I only had time to make enough for one cure. I just, I almost audibly sighed when I was reading that. I was like, Oh my gosh, not this again. This is so classic. So trophy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, so it was kind of relieving when I read the part that, Oh no, I did try the cure and my body rejected it. So that was, yeah. So the decision definitely refreshing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Wow. And that brings us to the end uh, of not just the Morbius story, but for Adventures into Fear altogether. This has been an anthology book that started off as, was it, it was just kind of random horror stories. And then it turned into uh, the Man-Thing book for a while. That's where he debuted. And then Man-Thing got his own title. And I'm, I can't remember if there's anybody between uh, Man-Thing and Morbius, but then Morbius took over this book, Adventures into Fear. Fear and now they've just canceled it all together. It's gone. Yeah, I shouldn't realize that this is where Man-Thing picked up. Yeah. And at this point in the epic collection, they have the other issues of Vampire Tales, which we are going to skip over. And we'll go straight over to, what is it? Marvel Premiere number 28, which is another anthology book kind of featuring a different cast of characters in each issue. This one features a whole bunch of characters. Do you want to tell us about them? Yeah. So this is, again, written by Bill Mantlo and art done by Frank Robbins. And this is a, I don't want to say team up, but just a kind of a gathering of Morbius, Ghost Rider, Man-Thing, and Werewolf by Night. So if, I mean, I know there's a good amount of fans to be pumping out this many hor- like more horror-oriented yeah. books. So this must have been an exciting issue for people to read, to have all these characters come together. And it was a lot of fun. So kind of the premise behind this story is that it takes place in L.A. And out of nowhere, in the middle of the street of Sunset Boulevard, there is a mountain that just rises up and appears out of nowhere. And for reasons that aren't really fully explained or that they can't even explain themselves... The four characters are kind of just drawn to this mountain. And as they make their way to the mountain, they notice that the vegetation and just the wildlife is different than what's on Earth. It's, I think the quote that they use a lot in this issue is, everything's somehow familiar as if they've seen a dream, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And yeah, as the four characters kind of convene on this mountain, a golden man appears out of nowhere on a golden horse, and he is named Starseed. 
And again, they kind of have a sense of, oh, he's familiar as if I saw him in a dream, but we've never met before. And Starseed then tells us a story which once again goes back to the kind of dawn of time, the origins of the humans, and how he lived in a community of humans that isolated themselves from the rest of humanity, looking to escape kind of the violence of the more primitive era and they isolate themselves in a mountain that is almost the entire mountain is abducted by aliens (laughs) and taken to their home planet. and on this home planet, on their planets uh the humans use the alien technology to make their way back to earth however starseed is the only one that survives and makes it back so we get kind of this weird origin story of Starseed and just kind of this alternate path of humans that Marvel really likes to kind of play on. And I think we saw in the last epic. But yeah, during the rest of the issue, Werewolf by Night and Morbius start to attack Starseed uh, just due to their more animalistic urges. And Ghost Rider is trying to defend Starseed. Uh, but unfortunately, Man-Thing does make his way to Starseed and ends up killing him because he causes pain. And one of the big things that I've, a few exposures I've had to Man-Thing is whenever somebody has fear in them, Man-Thing burns them. And that is ultimately what uh, is kind of the final blow to Starseed that puts him on kind of his deathbed. And one interesting thing is that as he's dying, he is actually able to turn all four characters back to their original human form. And they realize that he could have been the cure for all of them and almost been their quote unquote salvation. But once he dies, they unfortunately all revert back to their monster form and they kind of get a taste of what could have been but are now stuck back in their monster form, I guess. So for me, this was the worst issue that I've read so far in these Morbius epic collections. (laughs) This had absolutely no point, and it was so incredibly mindless. I thought, I was like, what the heck? So my issues here are we have these four characters that come together for no purpose, and at no point do they ever try to understand each other or work together and in the end they just go their separate ways so there's no point to bringing them together and then they have this starseed guy that spends half the issue giving us well not half of the issue but spends a lot of time telling us his origin story which also has zero point because he just dies <laughs> and at the end we find out oh he could have been a cool character but no he's just he's just dead and everybody leaves it's like what this whole thing was absolutely pointless and like they, we get one sentence at the end saying, oh, yeah, the mountain sunk back into the ground. It's all gone now. Um, <laughs> and then everyone goes off their separate ways. So it was like ah, this this issue was just a big waste of time, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it was really almost there to torture the characters yeah. for during that one little glimpse of trying them all the human. Right. And hey, you guys are cured. Just kidding. You're not. You're yeah. back to... <laughs> your situation your original situation but yeah absolutely it i haven't read any of the other books but i can't imagine this plot point changed them in any way no. or added to their character development yeah. in any way no absolutely not it, it was uh it's completely pointless and unfortunately because there's four characters there are going to be four books that i will have this issue in <laughs> i already have it in the werewolf by night oh i think i no i don't think oh, it's in the yeah. man thing collection because it's not written oh, it's by not? steve Gerber. But if there's ever another okay. Man Thing collection, uh, then this one will be in there too, and it'll be in the upcoming Ghost Rider epic collections, I'm sure as well. So you know, right? I'm gonna have to talk about this issue again at some point. <laughs> yeah, several times. We'll see if it grows on you more later. I doubt but, it. But yeah, no, it definitely seems more like a, it. Kind of seems like a money grab for Marvel, just having all four of these characters in the same book. Yeah. Like, I'm sure this one sold decently well, just based off who was appearing in it, but. Yeah, it was definitely a letdown, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, couldn't believe it. Um, One thing I did like, I will point out, though, that I I actually liked the idea that this guy has never felt pain before. uh, So that when Man-Thing touches Mm. him and, and burns him, it's the fear of fear it's the fear of fear that uh that starseed feels and it's so great and it just the more he fears the more he's afraid of the fear and then the more he fears it's just his never-ending cycle and that's what kills him 
is just that he becomes so fearful of fear and he just keeps on burning. So he just dies. So I thought that was kind of an inter interesting concept. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, I personally never read any of the other Man Thing issues, but it's it definitely makes me want to go read more of him just because the few experiences I've had during crossovers and other books. He's always been a very interesting character and that idea of fear burning people. So yeah, at the very least, this this issue did make me excited to go read Man Thing and <laughs> uh, Ghost Rider too. But well, that's yeah, good. no, it's. <laughs> So maybe it, it did its job it did from its what job. they wanted. Exactly. What, you'll buy more comics? Perfect. <laughs> exactly. They got me. Oh, boy. Okay, continuing on to uh, Marvel 2-in-1, number 15. This is a team-up book starring The Thing. The Thing teams up with a different character in each issue, and this one happens to be a team-up with Morbius. It's also written by Bill Mantlo. So we got, uh, you know, four four or five Bill Mantlo issues in a row now, which is kind of cool to see that he's kind of yeah. getting the, the continuing adventures of Morbius. In this issue, Morbius is on the hunt. I'm assuming this is some time has passed after the events that have uh, transpired in the, at the very end of Adventures into Fear. But he's you know trying to survive, so he breaks into the apartment of Alicia Masters and is about to suck her blood. But then the thing pops by for a visit and saves her life. And um, the two of them kind of take the battle to the streets, but then get involved with this character called the Eraser. And the Eraser is an old character from uh, the 1960s. He first appeared, I think his only appearance before this issue was one issue of Tales to Astonish, where uh, he fights Giant Man and the Wasp. His thing is that he can wipe people out of existence. And the big twist in that Tales to Astonish issue is that uh, they find out later that they don't actually die when they're erased. They're actually teleported to an alternate dimension called Dimension Z. And so that's where that story kind of left off. And then we find the erasers come back and he's erased Thing and Morbius, which sends them to Dimension Z, another instance of Morbius being teleported somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the the eraser has actually overthrown the Dimension Z government. And so it's up to the Thing and Morbius, and Morbius who has fallen in love with the Dimension Z princess to you know, help save their society. Um, this was a fun issue because it just felt so in character with what we we know of Morbius and his type of adventures. I already have talked about this issue when I did my episode on Marvel 2 and 1, um, Epic Collection Volume 1. And I remember thinking that this issue felt so out of place because of the aliens and because of traveling in other dimensions. But when you read it in the context of a Morbius Epic Collection, it actually is perfectly fine. It fits completely completely right in with what we know of Morbius's adventures. Yeah, no, I've never read, I haven't gotten to the two-in-one epic collection yet, but that's really an interesting point because, yeah, I, again, like I didn't even bat an eye when reading this issue, despite it being, again, more out there and more sci-fi oriented. So, yeah, it's interesting that it felt out of place when going through two-in-one, but here it just feels very natural. Yeah. Um, and so in the end here, Morbius decides that, um, you know, he doesn't really want to be on Earth anymore. So he's going to go to a place where he is not hated and feared for who he is. So he erases himself and he teleports himself somewhere. And I would I would have assumed that he would just teleport to Dimension Z, but it seems that the princess and the, and I don't know who this other guy is, they, they don't know where he's gone. So I guess that will be something that will be revealed in the upcoming Spider-Man issues that are in the rest of this epic collection that I haven't read yet, so I don't know. I think it does continue in that. From what I remember, it's been a little while since I've read this, or read those issues. Okay. But I do believe it does get picked up, so it's not well, that's just good. kind of left out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, with this issue, I, I love the Eraser. For some reason, yep. I think he is, when reading the Ant-Man epic collection, I probably read that probably four years ago. Yeah. And I think he was the one story point, like one story arc that I can remember from that book. I don't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the Eraser and I cannot explain why. I just thought he was a cool villain. He was super unique. Yep. And that's what really stood out to me in the Ant-Man Giant-Man epic. 
Well, it's true. He is one of the standout characters of the Ant-Man epic collection. I agree with you there. That, that one in like the human top also comes to mind. But yep. um, but I think part of it is the visual because it just looks so awesome when he just swipes and it looks like he's, you know, taking a, a, a dry erase a eraser on a right. dry erase board. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think it's great. So one thing that I did not enjoy in this issue, which actually kind of, kind of bugged me a lot, was his almost love interest with the uh, princess that was in captive in the dimension. It just felt so out of place and out of character for him. Um, just because I think it kind of gets brought up that, oh, you're, like, you're the only person that can understand me or like who doesn't isn't scared of me. But it's like, except for all the first epic and the first <laughs> half of this epic is literally Martine at your side trying to help you through the situation. Yep. And your only solution that you can come up with is nobody accepts me, nobody understands me, erase myself. Yeah. I was just like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> that, where did that come from? That made zero sense. And again, I loved this issue, but when it got to that point, I was just, I, I, I could not be on board with it. It made no sense to me. Yeah, it's very true. It's a good point. I wonder what they were trying to accomplish by doing that. Were they trying to end Morbius's story? Um, or did they have a bigger plan? I don't think they had a bigger plan. He doesn't appear for one full year later in Spectacular Spider-Man. So it wasn't like they had an immediate idea of how they wanted to treat this character. But yeah, they, they just wiped him out. And I was like, what? And the motivation, like you said, very strange. Yeah. And with the erasing part at the very end, even that I could I could see just with the trajectory that Morbius was going. I mean, he was no longer in the adventure into fear. And that was kind of a clean way for Marvel to be able to set Morbius aside for however long they wanted to and bring him back whenever they wanted. I guess so, yeah. So I mean that's knowing true. Marvel, they I mean, if they wanted to, they could have brought him back a decade later and <laughs> say this is where he raced you but yeah yeah so it was kind of a a clean way for them to set him aside for for a period of time i'd like to think that bill mantlo pitched the idea of a morbius ongoing series on a different like in dimension z or wherever uh, okay and then is like this was all set up for that and then the series would be morbius on a different planet having crazy adventures with weird people but then oh, so it never good. got picked up yeah i would have loved to see that right yeah i mean just almost like taking it back to the steve gerber stuff totally i, I would have been all on board for that yeah, I think these days, and this is certainly true for what I know of the 90s series of Morbius, um, that they treat him, they just treat him kind of like a straight up vampire. And it's mm -hmm. all vampire horror related stuff. And they don't go into okay. these crazy adventures anymore. So if they were ever to revive Morbius, um, I mean, they have several times over the years, but if they were to do it again, I would really like to see him have zany, out-of-this-world, over-the-top, crazy adventures again. Yeah, no, that that, w that would have been great to see. And honestly, um, when, when I was finishing reading this section and... I actually started kind of playing around with the idea, like where could they have taken Morbius's character and like what could have been some cool plot points. And one thing that I actually would have liked to see them revisit was his whole idea with him not being able to drink the blood or the plasma. So kind of going back to that story point. And because if they try to make him out as a vampire science, it makes sense that the blood or the plasma should be able to quench his thirst for a while. Right. So it'd been cool to almost have a story plot where like you start to realize that like maybe there is a side of Morbius that does like to actually like feast on people and not like for like the taste of it, but maybe there is like a darker side of Morbius that maybe even he doesn't realize. And that could have been a cool like maybe plot point to take it. Yeah, I think that would have been cool too. I there are so many ways, and I guess maybe they have done some of that stuff, but I haven't read any more Morbius to know. Yeah, I hope I'm hoping they'll do a third Morbius epic collection. I'm not sure how well the movie did. Doesn't sound like it did too well, but. No. If there is any more appearances of Morbius in the movies, I think that does that probably be one of the better chances of getting a third epic. 
Yeah. Because it sounds like, from what you said there, it sounds like there's enough material to be able to do it. So oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be all over that. Well, let's, let's hope so. But that's our episode for today. In the next episode, we'll cover three issues of Spectacular Spider-Man and three issues of Savage She-Hulk that, uh, are, that make up the back half of this Morbius second epic collection. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll come back and deal with wherever Morbius went after he erased himself. <laughs> oh, awesome thanks for joining me again ryan yeah no thanks again for having me it's been an absolute blast going through these stories again and you know to pick up on things that i did not see the first time perfect yeah and we will continue to do that in the next episode we'll see everybody next time take care